you're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. Uh, Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let everyone know that I created a new website uh, for the Sustainable Angler. It's the sustainableangler.com. You can find everything from past episodes, the Sustainable Angler merchandise, but the thing that I'm most psyched about is the Carbon Neutral Companies page. So uh, this is a spot where you can go and find every business in the fly fishing industry who is either committed to carbon neutrality or had, or has achieved carbon neutrality. So uh, these companies are working hard to protect what we all love and um, we should show our support by supporting them with our business. So. Uh, check it out. It's available at the sustainableangler.com. Okay, back to today's episode. Uh, really psyched. Uh, I interview TS Designs founder Eric Henry. Uh, we talk about everything from running a sustainable business by using the triple bottom line, which is also known as people, planet, profit. Uh, we take a deep dive into the supply chain, uh, the environmental and social impact of making our clothes how buying local improves our communities, makes businesses more resilient, and mitigates the impacts of climate change. And finally, how TS Designs is the first supplier to join the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance and why that's a big deal. So thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Emerger Strategies a sustainable business consultancy whose mission is to solve the climate crisis by helping your business go carbon neutral and zero waste. Emerger Strategies is also a proud 1% for the Planet member, a founding member of the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance, and is also a carbon neutral company. To learn more, visit EmergerStrategies.com. Sounds good. Well, again, Rick, thank you for the opportunity. You know, I've been in the business now for 43 years, so uh, I'll try to give you a, a very quick, quick synopsis of how I got where we are today. I started a, a small t-shirt business while I was in NC State in 1978, and I tell people things were a lot simpler than that's before cell phones, internet, computers, even fax machines. Uh, we grew that to what they call a large volume contract screen printer. We had clients like Tommy, Nike, Gap, Polo, employed over 100 people here in Burlington, North Carolina. The banks love this business grow. It's got us into this building we're still in today of 20,000 square feet. 1994, January 1 to be exact, uh, North American Free Trade Agreement was ratified. And within two years, uh, the brands left and had to lay off over 80 of those 100 plus employees. Wow. And to me, that was an awakening that there's more to a business than a bottom line. And so we have been on that journey ever since. We operate a business space on a triple bottom line. Not We understand the bottom line. Profits are what keeps the lights on and pays the bills and all that. But also, what's our impact to people? The people not only at TS Designs, people in our community, people on the planet. And then the last thing is, and not the most, I won't say the last thing, but also the important thing is, is the planet. What is our impact to the planet? So we believe this triple bottom line philosophy is a way a business should operate. Because what has happened in my generation as business becomes so powerful and so single bottom line focused, it's causing a lot of problems that we're having to deal with today. And I think one of the things we talk about is climate change. 
You know, that is, I'm not saying it, you know, climate change has been going along since the, the time of industrialization, which goes on for a hundred plus years. But my generation has just literally poured gas on the fire and made it a lot worse because people are, are focused on, you know, return on investment or how much money am I going to make? And um, it's caused a lot of other issues, environment, you know, the racial inequity problems that we're having in this country, uh, uh, income injustice, I mean, on and on and on. But I think by running a business, as long as we have focusing on that, what's the impact of the bottom line? What's the impact of people? And what's the impact of planet? And those are factoring into every decision that we make, be it the switching the LED lights or to paying people a living wage. Um, and the exciting thing is, is there's more and more businesses that are starting to understand those values. And I'm super excited about that quote, next generation that are coming on that looked at our generation and the impact that we had negative and positive and said, we want to go a different direction. So we feel like we're on the right path. Um, so it's, you know, that's a quick snapshot. You know, I like to say we're focused on domestic apparel manufacturing in both a transparent and equitable supply chain. So there's no secrets of what we do. Uh, we're all, and we like to say sustainability is a journey, not a destination. We are not a perfect company. There's always room for improvement. And um, and that's why we operate in a, in a transparent environment. We want to let people know what we do so we can learn how to improve because there's again, not one person has the answer. Answer lies within your community. So that's a a rambling introduction of uh, TS Designs 43 years. <laughs> um, all right. Well, no, that, that that's super interesting because the, um, the 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 uh, the NAFTA component of that, you know, where you where you saw people moving away um, from buying you more U.S. made products. I don't I don't think a lot of people are. Maybe some of our listeners don't understand what 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 happened with that. Could you just expand on that just just really briefly? For sure. You know, prior to NAFTA, you know, probably 98% of the clothes that we wear and buy were made domestically. Fast forward to today, about 98% are made overseas. And I always like to add the little story is uh, pre-NAFTA, Nike had their apparel headquarters in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the reason that is, is the South, North Carolina, South Carolina, you know, Tennessee, Virginia, that's where my, majority of the t-shirts and sweatshirts were made so when we i think when the people that uh thought of the nafta idea and i I got pushed back because again they were the argument was we'll let the marketplace decide winners or losers and i don't have any problem with competition i have a problem with competitions based upon one thing who can bring the cheapest price to the table and that's exactly what happened you know when nafta got ratified I don't know the exact number, but I can tell you the the uh, manufacturing wages in Mexico were far, far less than the wages in the U.S. So, again, the brands took advantage of that, moved their manufacturing there. People didn't realize how quick it was. I mean, it was like a, a giant, you know, sucking sound, as Ross Perot said. Literally, I was on, you know, ground zero where it was happening. You know, we had the two biggest textile companies in the world being Guilford Mills and Burlington Industries right here in, in our community. And I mean, it was devastating. There was thousands and thousands of people lost their jobs, hundreds of businesses went out. And uh, so I don't think people realize how quick that was going to happen. And I said earlier, I have no problem with global competition. 
But when we talk competition, we got to bring price. Understand that, you know, we can't charge $100 for a T-shirt. But let's talk about your environmental impact and your people impact. Yeah. And the, the frustrating thing that's been happening, Rick, is, um, you know, COVID was a wake-up call. You know, COVID realized, you know, there was not only the struggles we had uh, health-wise and people getting sick, we realized the weakness of a lot of our supply chain is based upon a global sourcing focusing on one thing, cheapest price. Realized couldn't get a lot of things. And then you top of that, you bring the ship stuck in the Suez Canal, and then we got issues with cotton coming out of China. We're constantly learning these lessons again and again, the weakness of a single source supply chain. Hey, we just had the, the, the big pipeline issue with gas. Another issue, we depend on one thing that gets us to us cheap. All of a sudden, it shuts down. And then we're like, you know, we're very vulnerable. So hopefully with these issues so close together that people are, and we're, we're, we're having more conversation we ever have with people that normally wouldn't have. They, because it would always kind of shut us down to, Oh, you, you cost too much. Whatever you make it there in the U S I can go overseas somewhere cheaper, but that's, Oh, they can't get it. Or they end up with, you know, t-shirts made from cotton come out of China and now it's associated with slave labor. You know, people don't want to be associated with that. So hopefully we're getting people to start at least, you know, having that conversation, as I like to say, you know, our most important customer is an educated customer. So we spend a lot of time. Why are we different? And try to get beyond that. Just, yes, it's more expensive, but it's more expensive because of these things. Some people care about that. Some people don't. But those people that do care about that, we can have a conversation and says, well, then how do we make that transition where you are now to a transition that is basically uh, more in line with your values and where you want to go personally or with your business. Well, let, let, let me, and, and thank you for that. that. That was a great explanation, but let me, let me, let me ask you this because I, you know, before I got into sort of the, the sustainability field and and working with brands and, and kind of understanding, uh, I probably have a, an elementary understanding of, of how exactly supply chains work, but I, but I know enough to, to be dangerous, but how does what, just for the, for the average listener out there who might not have any idea how their shirts get made. Can, can you walk us through that? Everything from cotton being farmed to the, to, to the store where they're buying it. How, how does, how does that work in, a, yes. in just a typical situation? Yeah. And even some people don't even know where, where cotton comes from, but, um, you know, we're focused on natural fibers, which right now is cotton. We can have a hemp conversation later. Um, but there are a lot of steps. And the fortunate thing about, again, living in the South is we grow great cotton in here. And even before NAFTA, all that cotton was used to produce apparel here. Um, so a lot of that cotton, majority of that cotton is then shipped overseas. But what we started doing about a dozen years ago is not all of our t-shirts, but more of our t-shirts, we actually go to the farmer to buy our cotton. And so once the cotton is purchased, there's a lot of steps from that field to that finished t-shirt that I'm wearing today. So first of all, it has to go be gin. We gotta get the cotton seeds out of it. And then from that, it goes to be spun into yarn. Um, and there's a facility does that contemporary, which is in, um, no, excuse me, that's Parkdale at, near Augusta, Georgia. Then it goes to uh, contemporary in Lumberton, which they knit that uh, yarn into fabric. 
Then that fabric goes to a place in Gaffney, South Carolina, to be what they call finished, basically preparing the, the fabric before it's been sewn. Then it goes to a couple other facilities in North and South Carolina we work with that do the cut and sew. Then it comes to TS Designs for print and garment dye. So I, we like to say we go dirt to shirt and we do it in about 500 miles. And again, in a completely transparent supply chain, you can see that supply chain at where, W-H-E-R-E, yourclothing.com. Because we don't grow it, gin it, spin it, knit it, finish it, cut it, sew it. But we tell exactly who did it and a point of, con a point of contact along the way. Compare that with a typical T-shirt supply chain, which probably uses U.S. cotton because we're known for great cotton we produce in this country. But most likely that cotton will leave this country's yarn. And then that process of, as I said, knitting, finishing, cut, sew, uh, most likely for T-shirts, this is Central America, or it's going to be coming out of uh, Southeast Asia, um, maybe India, Pakistan. But that T-shirt's going to be about 15,000 miles by the time you get your hands on a big box store. And ours is 500. 15,000 so, miles. That's wild. Yep. yep. I, I mean, all right, sorry to interrupt, but that's just no, no. mind-blowing. I mean... That's 30 times the and to to so to so put to put this in context just, just real quick for for everyone listening so um you know with, with what we do with with my company emergent strategies and we look at supply chain emissions you have to understand that a large uh percentage of a company's supply chain footprint is from transportation so they're right. having so so they're having to transport a product fifteen thousand miles versus five hundred. So without even doing any calculation, you know that that has a smaller carbon footprint because it's five hundred miles. So anyway, just just throwing that tidbit out there to to, to kind of put a little context around that. For All sure. right. So back to fifteen thousand miles, conventional versus TS designs. What about um, what are other differentiators? You mentioned slave labor um, and in some supply chains and things like that. I guess part of the social bottom line of your product, right? And that's that's back to um, I mean, this really came even more evident with COVID because there's I haven't been on a, a plane now for um, well over a year. Probably my next plane trip might be in August. So. Um, but when they're, you know, when we say 500 miles, you know, most of the furthest one is only like 150 miles out, even that far. So the ability to stay connected to your supply chain. And I like to say too, Rick, is when you develop a relationship with the vendor beyond a purchase order, they're just more subs. You know, I know these people, I know their families, I've been to their business, I've been to their homes. And when you're sending a PO halfway around the world, you lose that connection. And, and with COVID, it made it very hard to keep that connection because, I mean, you, there's zero chance of getting over there. So, um, you know, that's just the, the bond relationship becomes so much uh, greater when you're dealing with a local supply chain than a global supply chain. And again, we're not going to put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to globalization. I mean, we, we live in a world that there's, there's as I drink my uh, iced coffee this morning, we don't grow coffee here. 
So um, there's places that we're not, you know, going to depend on a supply chain. But it's back to being aware, being your, know your sources. And so we're focusing on doing here. But again, as I say, when you have those relationships beyond a PO, then you can have conversations that help move your whole supply chain forward. Because again, we there's a lot of things that happen outside of TS Designs that we want to help move in a positive way. And so by making those connections and having those conversations, um, we can do those things. I guess the other big thing that comes up with cotton, and this is another thing that we launched last year with our 10K cotton project, when we, again, we buy the cotton that's from that farmer on my, that back wall behind me, that mural they're painted, is that most cotton in this country is grown in what they call the commodity agriculture market. And people need to understand a commodity agriculture market. That could be cotton, wheat, soy, beef, chicken, uh, doesn't matter. But commodity agriculture means the farmer has zero say in the price which they get paid. The marketplace determines that. Well, the farmer needs to have a voice in that. And this time last year, they were putting their seeds in the ground 50 cents, no, excuse me, 25 cents under their cost due to a trade war we had going on in China. Fast forward to this year, they're actually getting 25 cents more. That's due to the questionable labor used in China to raise that cotton. Either way, the farmer had zero say. He's riding that roller coaster. So what we want to do is show a model, which we did with the 10K Cotton Project, and we're growing it. It's a call to action for the brands to meet the farmer before the seed goes in the ground. Because if you care about organic, you care about regenerative, all those little buzzwords that people talk about, which are important, but first and foremost, the farmer has to have a pathway that they can make money and they cannot do it through a commodity agriculture. It's too much of a roller coaster. If you look at the big picture, farming represents one of the uh, oldest age groups, highest rates of suicide, highest rates of bankruptcies. And it's because this treadmill that we put the farmer on and the pressure that they're under, you know, because of global prices. So we have to break that and develop these relationships like we did the 10K where the brands are working directly with the farmer, building those relationships, and then developing a pathway. That's a win for the farmer and win for the brand. Yep. Um, <clears throat> that's super interesting about the commodity agriculture. I, I you know, just I, I just don't think, you know, myself included or are, are not educated enough on how supply chain works and you know, a typical decision for for most companies is, is is driven by cost and convenience. And that's the same for consumers, right? Consumers um, are typically going to uh, pay something. I'd like to think our listeners that are listening to this show um, are, 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 are taking a look at things other than cost and convenience. Um, and in fact, I'll give a, a quick plug. Um, I got TS Designs up on there too. If you go to the sustainableangler.com website. Uh, we've got a carbon neutral companies page um, where it is a list of companies that you can find uh, that are committed to going carbon neutral. Um, so anyway, if, if anyone's looking to support brands and companies that are uh, moving the ball in the right direction down the field, um, you can find them there. But anyway, I, I digress. So one of the, the, the other things that um, that I heard you mention earlier is 
the fact that some your 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 supply chain is, is traceable, and that's on the product side. But I've yeah. also been I've also been on your website. Um, what are some of the sustainable business practices that 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 you, you mentioned it earlier? LED and and some other things. But it, it's I think that's really important to to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. So what what are some of the the things that y'all have done as a, as a business to um, clean up your your own act, I guess. Sure, and and I like to step back even further than that because again, these problems can be when you especially talk climate change, it's undaunting, yeah. And people just don't know what to do. And what I like to tell people is, we the consumer are the most powerful driver on the planet and the economy. And being aware, you make decisions every day. Um, the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the energy you use. And if you just start asking the question, um, the social environmental impact that you're making. Back to the, the business thing. Again, we, we've been on this journey since the mid-90s. And even before that, we were, I guess you'd call it, you know, being lucky. Um I've always had a care for the environment. You know, I was I had a uh, small garden with my grandfather. We, I lived in downtown Burlington, so I didn't come from a farming community. But I got a, you know interested in, in gardening and farming at an early age. So that was kind of my initial interest in the environment. And um, NAFTA just really brought that all together, running a business that way. So, um, I mean, it's and again, it's it's the little things like the LED light bulbs or you know, we eliminate styrofoam cups. You know, you come to TS Designs, I'll offer you a great cup of coffee. It's going to be fair trade organic, and it's going to be in a porcelain mug that's locally made. I mean, it's kind of built in, it is built into our DNA. We've been doing this so long. So anytime we're, we're facing a new decision, a new direction, uh, we're looking at what does it do to the bottom line? What's it do to the planet? What's it do to the people? And it's not always equal. Sometimes it's more for the planet or more for the people, whatever. But all three P's are represented. And I think when you have that discussion, like you just walked out in the hallway of my office here, um, I can't remember those light, last time those lights had been turned on. I mean, it's just so built in everybody's DNA, you know, that they just don't use the lights, you know. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's every, the, the bathroom beside me, back to saving water, we you it's takes uh, condensation off ice machine and pumps it over into a tank. And then when you flush that toilet, you use what they call gray water. So what we want to do too, Rick, is just, you know, some people think this is crazy or fruity or whatever, but plant those seeds of ideas because again, back to, you know, uh, the impact that this would have, you know, this one little bathroom is not going to save the world's water supply. But if we change the way we flush our toilet with this idea and we did it a million times over, that's going to mean a lot less you know, clean water necessary to do our toilet. So it's just, again, it's, it's usually not one, you know, we, we do have two solar systems on our, our, our building. So we do take some big, big leaps. But really, I think it's those little things. I like to say small things over a long time can have big impacts. And, and again, I go back to that styrofoam cup thing. You know, styrofoam cups are still legal. You can buy them right now. We, we limit what's been launched. So they've been, a, we've stopped using 30 years ago. Imagine how many styrofoam cups we have used over 30 years that are going to be on this planet longer than you and I. And so um, 
that's where it's the responsibility of the business. Because some people say, well, you know, I'm doing what's required by regulation of law. Well, that's just the lowest, lowest bar. You've got to think beyond that and be responsible and accountable, not only for yourself, but for your business to, to go beyond that, uh, that, that lowest bar. And, um, and again, we, we can, you continue to learn. You know, I used to drive a car, I made biodiesel for, put 350,000 miles on that. Now we know, um, you know, the, how much, uh, better impact an electric car has. So I've been driving an electric car for two years, three years now. Um, it's, we're constantly learning. So, you know, we got to be willing to take in new facts, understand new technology, but always go back to that triple bottom line impact. And a lot of times that cool, great thing doesn't make it in because it happens a lot in the industry. You know, they'll say it doesn't, but what's the impact to the, the planet? And a lot of times it doesn't make the passing grade and we don't jump on that bandwagon. Yeah. And, and, and that's an important thing that, you know, the three P's of people, planet, profit when it comes to sustainable business. And I know that we have talked a lot about the planet part, the environmental impact, but could you just expand a little bit on the, the, the people, I mean, we've kind of mentioned it a little bit, but can you just talk a little bit more about the, the people part of, 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 of your business or in general, how, how that works? Well, we like to say, you know, people are our most valuable asset. I've got a, a group of four people that have been here for over 25 years. Um, and through COVID, uh, their experience, their dedication, we couldn't done without them. Uh, that being said, you know, we, we believe never have paid a minimum wage ever in our history. And now what they call is a living wage. Uh, we, we pay everybody, at least, you know, we started a minimum wage. We look at helping things like with, with health care and other benefits, because ultimately, if you want an employee to be successful, they've got to be whole in their life. Whole in their life means they've got to be able to make a living wage. So, um, you know, we, we look at, you know, the, our people here and then we start looking at it goes back to our supply chain. The, the benefit you have working with the domestic local supply chain, then you have a better idea who you're working with. You know, constantly the, the apparel industry gets themselves in a situation. An example I like to do is, I think it was eight or nine years ago, where there was an, an eight-story building collapse in Bangladesh, killing over a 1,000 people, the worst apparel disaster in the apparel industry or history. And um, people say, oh, my God, you know, I can't believe it happened. And, and the, the brands, the only reason the brands were there it's because they were working for 25 cents an hour. So as I told those brands, no brand was held accountable, but I said, the blood's on your hands because you were there for one reason. That's to take advantage of cheap labor. So, you know, we have a responsibility for the, the, the people in our community and the people on the planet. But I keep going back to the TS Designs is, you know, I like to say a community cannot be successful unless everyone has an opportunity to participate. So if you if you are not making a living wage, if you don't have access to health care and things like that, you're not going to be contributing because you're trying to figure out how to survive. And so uh, I'm always advocating it's 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 not about not only about TS Designs, but how do we make the community around us stronger and better and and connected? And because that's what makes us more resilient for that next global disruption that's somewhere in our future hopefully no time soon, 
but how do we just, you know, do that? But it's, it's just amazing how we have got into um, chasing the personal wealth side and not really understand the value of community wealth. Because again, and I've learned a lot, it's, I don't, it's not about me how much wealth I can accumulate. It's how much wealth I accumulate from a community. It's where I live. And so um, I need to depend on other people for my quality of life. It's not, I can't do it all on my own. Well, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've thought a lot about it, you know, I mean, from the world my grandparents grew up in even, you know, when it was, you know, small, smaller towns and things like that. But I mean, you knew, you know, I, I support our local local farmers market. I, I I know the people who I get my my vegetables and and, and my meat from. But mm-hmm. the you know a lot of I think a lot of people miss that um, where they don't understand that it's like, hey, you know, here's someone in my community um, that is trying to make a living and is is providing a a service and a product that I need anyway. So why would I? Why wouldn't I? want to support someone that is within my own community. And I've, I've, I've read uh, a few stats on that and, and, and I can't remember exactly what they were, but basically the study proves that more money stays in the local community when you buy from other local businesses. Um, Very much so. Yep. It's yep. called, it's called the multiplier effect. You know, when yep. you go to a big box store and yeah, you might save a few pennies on your, your toilet paper, but all that money immediately leaves your community. When you go to that farmer's market and invest that money, you're basically giving money, something like giving your, your uh, shame to somebody who lives in your community. So your dollars stay in their community and then hopefully they will go out. So, yes, it's a big I forget what the number is, but it's a tremendous impact keeping your dollars local. And then I think the next step beyond that, and I didn't mean to cut you off, is no, you're good. the same thing happens on a domestic standpoint. You know, there's um, when you go buy that, quote, cheap T-shirt that you get in a big box store and you say you, you do save some money, but all that money is going to the big box and then goes out of this country. When you buy a shirt from us, then all that money stays in the Carolinas and impacts over a thousand jobs. So it, it happens again at a little bit bigger scale than your, it's the same analogy of farmer's market. You're keeping the money in the community in which you live, you know, you're in South Carolina, North Carolina. So, you know, we're, we're a little bit bigger community, but we're in that community called the, the U.S. And that's what, you know, that needs to be our next, you know, level where we support and connect to. Yeah, it, 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 I, I agree. I think that there's a huge opportunity um, to reduce our environmental impact. Um, also improve the quality of lives of, of people and provide jobs for our country by supporting not only local businesses, but like you said, USA made and, um, and people who are, who are creating jobs and making their community stronger and keeping money within those communities. So it's, it's, it's a, a win, win, win scenario. Um, so that's super insightful. Um, so Eric, what, what are some of so, by the way, I love the your, your phrase "dirt to shirt" because you're 500 miles. That's super cool. Um, but also, what what are some uh, what what gives you hope? What are some success stories, things like that 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 you've seen born out of TS Designs that um, that, that are making an impact? Well, I mean, I, I think going back to to, to COVID, um, yeah. having those uh, relationships 
in our supply chain, having those relationships to farmers, having those, you know, where things come from, you know, uh, it made our company more resilient getting through that. And it made us more resilient, you know, for my wife and I in this community because, you know, we we didn't, you know, the, the food issues that a lot of people were having at the grocery store, um, I don't say we were totally isolated, but we were in a much, much better situation because we knew where our, our food, and we made that investment. We made that investment in knowing the farmers and supporting those farmers. And it's it's kind of like having a savings account. We made it so, so we knew where we could get our, our meat and, you know, we grow a lot of our own vegetables. So we were able to, I guess you say, what somewhat cash into that. We didn't have those those type of challenges some people have when they're so connected to this global supply chain. It's, you know, focus on just the cheapest price. So, uh, and the same thing goes, I always like to tell the story too, is that, you know, we lost a lot of our customers because they their business shut down. So we took our values and we pivoted to taking our great U.S. made T-shirts that we had in the back that, you know, had some kind of defect. And we pivoted to making face masks. And, um, but we built on our values. How do we make a great product? How do we do it here? Um, and we found that we could be much more nimble in design and implementation because we're doing it right here. And it was, I made the kind of the joke, uh, if you make a joke about COVID, but as hopefully we're coming out of face mask and uh, everybody, your listeners have had their shots or getting their shots. But imagine, you know, trying to um, chase that much, much less expensive mass, let's say, coming out of Vietnam, that now is going to take weeks, if not months, to get here. So somebody was making a commitment, you know, back. We didn't know when we were going to be out of this thing. So somebody was making a call back in the uh, end of last year to order some more masks because we were selling a lot of masks last, you know, last fall. And now they got, you know, 100,000 masks is going to be arriving in the, the port of Charleston um, a couple of weeks from now. And I can tell you, uh, mask sales, I don't care if they're cheap masks or expense masks, the sales have gone way down. So that's yeah. the nice thing about working in a, in a local connected. You're a lot more nimble. Yeah. And and we don't have that issue. You know, we've, we've, we've probably got maybe 100 masks back here. For, and if something happened, I hope it doesn't, but all of a sudden mass came back, we could ramp back up production. I could have a couple thousand in a week or so. So uh, uh, manufacturing, I think a lot of people, Rick, you know, they just they just focus on the bottom line price and they don't realize all the liabilities of that bottom line price, especially if it's tied to a global supply chain and what we just went through COVID. Um you can be a lot more nimble. So to me, it's, 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 a, it's the right investment. Uh, and we're, and I see the value now as I hopefully then I'll, I'll pay more to give me that flexibility uh, as a business and as a, a consumer in a local economy. Yeah, no, that, that, that's such a good point. And, and something also, when you talk about that, that came to mind when you were talking about being nimble and resilient um and, and a lot of people maybe don't think about, but I, I personally experienced this uh, working for a brand and, and with some of my clients is you see climate change and what's starting to happen is the increase in, in more severe weather and things of that nature. Um, and in particular with hurricanes. So for example, mm-hmm. to, to, to bring this to 
to sort of fly fishing is you had people because of hurricanes who were there were shops in you know in Florida who were having to cancel some of their orders because the hurricanes so cancel an order from a brand because the because their stores were getting wiped out by hurricanes or hey somewhat part of our supply chain the 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 ship is stalled and can't come into port because of the hurricane so we can't get our product to our customers so you start to see these supply chain risks playing out. You know, COVID is a great example with, with everything that, that, that you mentioned. But there's also, if, if you're a, a brand and, and you start to think about this, it's like, okay, well, climate change poses significant risk to our supply chain as well. Yes. And being able to be nimble and, and be local and turn things around is another solution to that. Um, but so anyway, I'll, I'll just stop there. But that, that was just something that, that I've, I've thought about because I've experienced that myself. Um, but that also leads me to one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about, which is uh, TS Designs um, is the first supplier of the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance. Um, and I'm really excited about that because – uh, what that means is there, well, with all members of the, the Climate Alliance, you know, we're, we're guides, shops, lodges, brands, nonprofits, and now we need to add suppliers to that list, but um, who are committed to going carbon neutral by 2030 and, and why that's so important. And I think that this is really exciting because as, as more and more, as more shops start putting pressure on the brands because the mm -hmm. shop is having to account for the embodied carbon of the the products that they sell so if more shops put pressure on the brands and then the brands put pressure on their supply chain well inevitably a lot of these brands will also start thinking about well who is our you know, asking these questions, like you mentioned earlier from the triple bottom line, what is the environmental impact of our supply chain? What is the social impact of our supply chain? And when you start asking those questions, you are probably going to find some things that you don't like. And by having suppliers like TS Designs um, as, as part of this, they, they provide a solution for those brands who are looking to buy domestic or buy organic or natural fibers. Um, and that's, to me, is really exciting because we know that for most products that are made, because we know that they're made overseas, 80 to 90% of the carbon footprint is in the supply chain. Correct. And so a, a solution to the climate crisis um, would be to support local suppliers Um and yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm personally really stoked about this. I think that hopefully uh, TS Designs is the first of many um, suppliers that want to start looking in and, and, and committing to going carbon neutral. But um, I just want to say thank you for joining in the, the, the Fly Fish and Climate Alliance, but also just kind of so understands as we're talking about supply chain and what that means, um, that this is a really big uh in my opinion, big deal to have a supplier commit to this because uh, that means as as these brands look deeper, um, they'll start to hopefully see that hey, we can 
we can do this domestically um, and we can solve the, the climate crisis and and support our uh, U.S. companies and, and local community in the process. Well, I was like to say, Rick, you know, that analogy, you know, how do you eat an elephant in one body at a time? And, and it goes what I said earlier, you know, it starts with education. You know, um, climate change is real. Climate change is happening. You know, I'm, I remember I was, I guess you say, early on board with it, uh, probably 15, 20 years ago. And maybe the science was, you know, 95 percent. And, you know, science is never going to be 100 percent, but 99.999 percent. Uh, man is impacting it. But the thing I also find interesting and, and alarming when we start talking about climate change 15 or 20 years ago, and I think you're telling me you've, you've got uh, a young child or young kids. Yep. And um, when they started talking, that it was going to be a problem that our generation did a lot to uh, escalate it, but that we would not see it until many years down the road. Well, not only we know it's happening faster, it's happening worse uh, we see it. You live in an area that has a lot more, you know, hurricanes and the hurricanes are worst. You know, the uh, the oceans are rising. I mean, it's happening much, much faster than we ever anticipated. So first of all, realize that. Do it. But again, I like to say, you know, sustainability is during our destination. You're not going to be a throw a light switch and all the go from, you know, buying everything overseas to buying everything domestic. You're not going to throw a light switch to go from, you know, a carbon heavy environment to a carbon neutral environment. But you just get, you know, I like to say, just get on the path. I don't care where you are on that path. Yeah. I don't care. You know, I'm glad if you're way ahead of me, but it's OK to be way behind me. But I just want people to be on this path because it's going to take all of us moving forward to do this. And the quicker we do it, the quicker we're going to do it. But it's just it's it's it is it's a um, overwhelming task that we're faced with. You know, um, COVID was a challenging time. But it in a way it's a kind of a bump in the road in regards to climate change. You know, there was a little, you know, I think some of the reports says because economic activity dropped so much, there was a little, you know, carbon benefit, but the overall did not change the trajectory where we're going. And a lot of people think, you know, we're going back to our old habits, back to what I said earlier, we're slamming on the gas. Well, that's gas using fossil fuel. Uh, we've got to change and um, identifying it and then embracing it. And then st- Again, it's taking small steps, but we just got it. We all have to participate in this uh, if we got a snowball's chance in, in correcting this for your your child's future. That, that, well, that's exactly right, and that, and that's definitely motivation for me. I've got a two and a half year old daughter and a five month old son, and yep. um, you know I want to be able to go fishing with them, and I want to be able to um, if I'm blessed to to have grandchildren i want to take them fishing and i want to get to experience get them to experience um nature and this beautiful planet that we live on and um in order for that to happen um we have got to as a global community um reduce our greenhouse gas emissions but it starts with the individual and it starts with the company and uh everyone has to make that decision um so i think that to your point you know, I think that you nailed it when you said, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, just take the step um, and realize that, hey, you know, okay, we can we can do things differently. And um, it's okay. We need lots of imperfect solutions when this is an all hands on deck 
uh, situation. So I think that that's a love that point that right. you made. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. Well, th- I think that may be actually a pretty good note to, to wrap on, um, Eric. And I didn't, unless you had anything else you'd like to add here at, at the end. No, again, Rick, I just appreciate the opportunity reaching out. Um, this is um, just another group of people where, um, you know, climate change should be important to them. But it's also just, you know, it's uh, dots in a, in a much bigger community. So uh, hopefully, you know, getting the fly fishing community around this idea of addressing climate change, look internally at their businesses and how they operate, uh, how they source, how they're connected. You know, we, we, need, we need to make that tent as big as possible to address this this overwhelming challenge that we have out there called climate change. So I'm just excited that you reached out to us. We're excited to be, in, you know, part of this, you know, going carbon neutral by 2030. Hopefully we can do it way ahead of that time, sooner the better. But um, it goes back to what I said, it's education. We want, you know, you're another platform that's connecting and educating people about the significance and reason we need to address climate change. So again, thank you so much for the opportunity and look forward to working not only with you, but your organizations we move forward. Awesome. Well, well thanks so much, Eric. One, one thing that I would be remiss if, if I didn't mention, um, where can people learn more about TS Designs? Uh, what, what's your website so that they can go and, and check, check y'all out? Sure. I mean, uh, the website is TS Designs, which is T as in Tom, S as in Sam, Designs, D-E-S-I-G-N-S dot com. Uh, that's a good start point. Then you can get connected with our social media platforms and then my LinkedIn platform. That's a good starting point. Uh, hopefully within the next couple months, we're going to have a new website. You know, we went through a lot of changes last year with COVID. Uh, change a lot of services, update a lot of services. So, but that's a good starting point. Definitely, way you can get contact with me. You can get my email. You can get my phone number. Um, and anybody wants to reach out, connect nine with, with TSI myself. Uh, look forward to the conversation. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Angler. Special thanks to Eric Henry from TS Designs. Um, If you like what you're hearing, it really helps the show out a lot. If you could leave a rating and review on iTunes, uh, that helps us uh, spread our message and reach as many anglers as possible uh, so that hopefully we can inspire positive change. So uh, thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time.